Today's reading is Matthew 5, 1 through 10. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're doing something a little differently today. This is Rick Gregory. Rick's a a friend of mine. We've been friends for quite some years. And uh, we've been talking since the beginning of the year about stepping into a life that blesses others. And it's one thing for me to stand up here and talk because um, I'm a pastor and, you know, you typically expect, well, you're getting paid to, to be good, to be righteous, to love Jesus, things like that. And uh, so you kind of expect it, but you don't expect it from, you know, just normal average people like Rick. So, um, Thanks, Lou. <laughs> is his mic on? Okay. Uh, so one, Rick and I were talking, we were talking a week ago Friday, just catching up and, on life. And um, I, I think one of the things that I was so excited about in talking to you was the way that you and Sherry are um, seeking to really step into these practices of living a life that blesses others. So I asked Rick to come up and to share some of the, just some of the ways that he and Sherry are trying to step into this, this way of life, uh, just to hopefully encourage you about the fact that um, this is not a, uh, you don't have to be a super Christian to do this. So tell, tell, tell a couple of stories from the neighborhood about uh, some of the things that we talked about as well. So I have this friend from San Diego, and one of the things that he says is that he gets up every morning and he says, okay, Lord, what are we doing today? And he talks about a limo. It's like the Lord shows up in front of his house in a limo, and he says, do you want to go for a ride? And we have the opportunity to say, yeah, I I want to get in, or I don't think so, not today, not feeling it today. And so I think that for the last four or five years, Sherry and I have really asked the Lord to allow us to go deep into our community. And, you know, we've been in and out of the community for the last 15 years for various reasons, but the last four or five years, we've asked the Lord to to really focus us us there. And it's been unbelievable, some of the things that have happened. Um, We have these next-door neighbors that we've known for 15 years. They've gone through a significant series of, of traumas in their lives, and and what's interesting is that we simply said, how do we love you? Mm. How do we love you? And they've invited us in to the point where now we go to their house Christmas Day and Christmas Eve, and now their family buys us gifts. It's the craziest thing. We like it. <laughs> And then there's, there's uh, Dan and Carol. Dan and Carol live down the street from us. Dan is a retired FBI, ICE, um, Homeland Security. He's kind of one of these big dogs that's been involved in, in drug busts all over the world and terrorism. And 
You know how when you meet those people, they kind of hold you at arm's length, right? So we found out that one morning, Dan woke up, and he had a, he had a sore throat. So we went to the doctor, and the doctor said, not only do you have a sore throat, you've got stage four lymphoma. And so within a week, he, he was in surgery. So Sherry and I heard about this, and, and we decided that what do you do? You, you go visit. So we don't know these people at all other than to say hi in the neighborhood. And we were standing at their front door, and Carol answered the door. Uh, Dan was still upstairs sick, you know, recovering from the surgery. And she was kind of crying, and, and all of a sudden, he came sort of staggering down the steps, still in his pajamas, and he stood there. And, and Sherry and I were looking at him, and we're thinking, what do we do with this? So I just said, you know, Dan, this is going to sound crazy, but do you mind if I pray for you? And he looked at me, and he said, I, I'd love that. So I laid my hands on him, hand, one hand on his shoulder, one hand on Carol's shoulder, and we prayed. And that was a year ago. Today, he's walking the neighborhood. He has no signs of cancer. Everywhere he goes, he tells people that God has given him new life. Wow. And anyone who stops him, he says, I, I don't know what to tell you other than this life is short, mm. but God has given me more of it. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and it's just amazing, those kinds of things. So, so that's the kind of stuff that we've been, we've been doing. I was thinking about, um, you, you were talking about expectations a moment ago. Mm-hmm. And I think the key for us has been to, to simply say, okay, Lord, it, it's these little obediences mm. and one little step at a time and to have the expectation that nothing is going to happen or that something might happen, but that if the Lord asks us to do it, it's that little obedience that says, okay, I'll be willing to be embarrassed to pray for this guy. And, and I think that's what it's been. And so it's, it's really been beautiful to see that, how that's taken shape. And you're, you and Sherry live down in Huntington Beach, so it's not a case of it uh, being something that you have to have related to you know, this church or the gathering here. I mean, you've been right. part of the Grace community for years, but you guys have stayed in Huntington Beach. But you're saying, hey, that's where God has placed us, and so you know, this is where we need to look around and see the places, the opportunities God has given to us. And it seems like this is kind of the mindset that you and Sherry have taken in, in doing that. You, certainly you've tried, you've been available to, for God to use you in other places. You guys have been to Africa multiple times. And, and, uh, but it, it, now the focus seems to be on maybe what seems to us at times to be not so glamorous or sexy as our own neighborhoods. You know, how do you, how do you not say yes to um, my neighbor across the street his name is Dave. His, his wife's name is Marcy. And um, I was talking to him one day, and I said, Dave, how are you? He said, well, I, I think I'm pretty good. And I said, what does that mean? He said, well, I'm, I'm hoping that I live long enough to see my daughters get married. And I was thinking, wait a minute. This guy is maybe in his 40s. His daughters are teenagers. And I said, what, what's the issue? So... He said, I'm one of 78 men, veterans, that have come back from Afghanistan with this crazy disease in my lungs 
that's a result of the, of the Russian chemical warfare. And he said, they gave me a year to live mm. a year and a half ago. Mm. And so, again, we just said, can I pray for you? And so Dave and I have now been talking, and, and I've been praying for him. And, you know, every, I see him every morning when I leave to go to work, and, and now he's telling me that his wife really isn't interested in spiritual things, but now that we're praying, maybe this will turn the corner in her life. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that. Um, and, and then uh, we have a, a, a neighbor across who lives next door to Dave, actually, She's Indian. Her name is Haima. And she lost a daughter and her husband within the last five years. Daughter to a a car accident and husband to disease. And she's so foreign to us. She's she's Hindu. She's got the the red dot on her forehead. And, And I don't know, I really don't even know what all that is. But again, we've said, Lord, how do we love these people? So Christmas Day, we took cookies two years ago. And she opened the door and took the cookies and said, thank you. And, you know, and that was it. This year, we took cookies on Christmas Day. Not only did she open the door, she invited us in and she introduced us to all of her family. Her daughter came and hugged us, the one daughter that's still living. And, um, and then two weeks later, she showed up at our door with some silly little plant stand that she wanted to give us as a gift and a piece of fruit from her backyard. Wow. But she's inviting us into her life. And, and I, I think that, you know, we, we get to be Jesus' hands and feet in our neighborhood. And we're not any special people. We're, we're no different than any one of you. And it's so beautiful to take these little tiny steps of obedience and watch God do things that are amazing. You know, Sherry has this little thing that's a a decoration, and it says, enjoy the little things because someday you'll realize they're the big things. Mm. Mm. And it's the same with these little obediences. They become big things. Thank you. I think I'm going to put the period there, and thank you for being willing to share your story and kind of maybe getting this started for us as a community, that we might be a people who come to this time expecting to hear stories. And I think, here's the other piece. This is the one piece when you and I were talking, and I mentioned this to you, was um, this reticence that I felt here at Grace um, since coming, that if you talk like you just talked, then maybe you're bringing the glory to yourself. And yet, that's not what this is about. It's about what you said, which is the limo pulls up and says, do you want to get in and go with me with what I want to do today? And you say, yeah, and then you tell what you did that day. And I appreciate that. So thank you for doing it, maybe breaking the ice for us to say, let's let's tell stories of how we see Jesus working. And then it, it encourages me, it gives me courage to say, open up your mouth and just love people and see what Jesus does. So... Thank you. Can I pray for you and Sherry? Thank you. Yes, please. Father, thank you for Rick and Sherry. Thank you for the friendship they've given to Lori and to me all these years, Um, for their faithfulness, their desire to just simply be used by you. I ask that you continue to open up the many um, pathways you've given to them in their neighborhood, um, that they would be your light and your life and your love to so many people there. 
Jesus, I pray that you would bring healing. I pray that you would bring, bring restoration. You'd bring hope. All the different things that you want to do that, that Rick and Sherry would be your conduits. It would be open vessels for you to pour out your blessing through them. So thank you for uh, the joy of hearing these stories and celebrating this today as a community. And for the many other people who are seeking to live and to step into this, I ask for your blessing upon them as well. In your name, amen. amen. Thanks, my friend. Appreciate it. So I wanted to do something different today in the hope that um, it might awaken us to some new possibilities. And so I took some time to, um, with these stories to hopefully normalize this lifestyle of, of living in such a way that Jesus shows up and he, and he blesses people through us. He brings life to people through us. And my desire is really that, that it, this would become a normal thing for us, that we would be a people who expect God to do this through us. And I'm hoping to convince you that this isn't a practice for the super spiritual, the super Christian, the super dedicated, but it's for anybody who wants to share and not hoard the life and the love that they've received from God. It's just that simple. Will you receive, if you've received the life and love of Jesus, will you hoard it or will you share it with other people? And that's the question we're faced with all the time with every encounter that we have with people. So if you're new to Grace, we've been focusing upon uh, a life that blesses others. Since the beginning of the year, we've been talking about what does it look like to have a life that blesses others and to be a community that, that is known for being a people who bless others. And, and to practice blessing is to partner with God in bringing life to the world. And that's what I've said in previous uh, talks up here. Because when the Bible describes blessing, it speaks of life. A life that comes from God, life that's created by God, life that gives life, life that extends life. And we can be people who speak life into people as we speak God's favor and good intentions for people, as we're purposeful in doing that for the people that we're around. And Dallas Willard says that blessing is a projection of good into the life of another. As I've said previously, you can summarize Jesus' earthly ministry in, in three words. Jesus blessed others. Jesus blessed others. If you look at Jesus' life from the Gospels, you see that Jesus went around and he put into people's life or he spoke into people's life God's favor and God's good intention for them. In fact, his ministry, according to the Gospel writers, begins in Matthew 5 with blessing. And then Luke records his, his ministry ending in Luke 24 with blessing. As he's ascending, he's blessing the disciples, he's blessing the people as he, as he leaves them. So Jesus, if you look at Jesus, Jesus was all about blessing people. So the next like 15 minutes, what I want to do is just make a few observations about blessing, the blessings that launched Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5, the blue one's underneath your seat, um, page 809, if you turn there. And the first thing that jumps out, and, and Rick read this, uh, Rick Beanie, we have a lot of Ricks today, that uh, Rick Beanie read this morning. He read the, what are called the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. And what, the first thing you notice is the repetition of the word blessed. And for most of my Christian experience, I read these as conditions, as describing conditions for being blessed. In other words, if you want God's favor, then you need to try to be this way. And that's how I read these for most of my Christian experience. And I think this is the reason why many Christians just kind of quietly drift away from following Jesus. 
And I see, I mean, one of the interesting things is if you stay in a church for a long time, and I have stayed at this one for a long time, then instead of the pastors leaving every three to four years, it's the people who leave every three to four years. And what I notice is that so many Christians just kind of quietly drift away from following Jesus. They just slowly fade out. And, and I've wondered if one of the reasons is this pressure to perform. The pressure to perform and, and kind of the, the crushing sense of not meeting up to the, to the expectations that come when you compare yourself to other people. So there's this pressure to perform and there's this comparison that's taking place in our culture all the time through social media and through so many other conversations that we have. Think about the pressure to perform in your, in your work, at school, uh, students, you have the pressure to perform that your parents are putting on you. You have the parents who, are, who have the pressure to be these outstanding parents as, as seen in your outstanding, just incredible kids that are just unique phenomena the world had never seen before. Uh, you, yeah. And there's the pressure to perform in so many different areas of, of, of life, in your friendships, in your marriage. And so it's easy to bring that kind of pressure in a culture that, that celebrates and rewards performance and success. It's easy to bring that into these words of Jesus and to hear Jesus as yet one more person who's putting out some standards and some expectations for us to perform. Come on, get it right, perform. And so we come to this and we go, like, I don't want to read the Bible because it, it, it puts pressure on me. I don't want to read it. Well, my first observation from Matthew 5 is just simply this, that Jesus' blessings in Matthew 5 are not a list of shoulds. Jesus' blessings in Matthew chapter 5 are not a list of shoulds. He's not saying you should try to be poor in spirit. In other words, he's not giving us a virtue list by which we then measure our moral progress. Now, he's not saying that there's anything wrong with having a life that's marked by this, obviously. But it's not a, it's not a, a virtue list. When you, in fact, when you read Matthew 5 in the context, the larger context of Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus is talking about life in God's kingdom. He's talking about life in God's kingdom. Look, for example, at uh, verse 3 of chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew uses kingdom of heaven in the way that Mark and Luke use kingdom of God. The reason Matthew uses the word heaven is because he's talking, he's writing to a largely Jewish audience, and for a Jewish audience, the divine name was sacred, so you did not pronounce it. So heaven stands for Yahweh, or God, and so therefore, he's talking about the kingdom of God. Over in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see Matthew's usage of kingdom there. Chapter 6, verse 10. In the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it finishes off this section in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So what is God's kingdom? What is God's kingdom? It's the world as it was meant to be. It's the world as it was meant to be. It's the world transformed. It's the world restored to what it's meant to be as designed by God. I like uh, how Brian Sanders uh, describes it in his book, um, <clears throat> Life After Church. Listen to what he says about the kingdom. Try to imagine a world where parents love each other, where there is no betrayal, no infidelity, only growing respect, appreciation, and love for each other. 
Then imagine the children born to these parents and growing up surrounded by the same kind of people where they are nurtured, inspired, allowed to be creative, and challenged to be disciplined. Imagine kids honoring and admiring their parents and growing up to become like them. Imagine friendships no longer weighed down by broken promises or unfair expectations, where race is a perfume that follows each friend, making us love our differences and not fear them. Where people walk around generally whole, ready to serve or give. Where needy people never go uncared for because everyone wants to be the one to help. Where trust is a basic assumption underlying all new relationships. Where some people get married because they really like to be together and some don't because they're completely fulfilled by the seemingly limitless pool of people who love them. By deep friendships and by meaningful work. Imagine a world where bosses make you feel that your work matters and at the same time inspire you to work harder and be better. Where people give their whole hearts to their work because they love what they do, believe in it at a deep level and are good at it. Where workers give their best to everything they do and why wouldn't they? This is a world where you rarely wait in lines. Where people take their time because the point is to do it right, not to beat out the other guy. It's a world where fast food restaurants all go out of business because food is cooked with care and shared, and everyone eats meals with company. Where no one is lazy, no one needs therapy, everyone is so happy with who they are and how they look that no one overeats or diets, just lots of people in various cool sizes. <laughs> Imagine a world where there is health inside and out, where people get it, where everything isn't perfect, there are still misunderstandings and occasional problems, but these are all handled with grace and fairness and, above all, love. This is the kingdom of God, and it is coming and has come. That is beautiful. And I think about that as I read Jesus' words, that when Jesus came announcing the good news, as Mark says in Mark chapter 1, that this good news was something more than just simply forgiveness of sin and the fact that you could receive life after death. This was good news about a world being remade, a world being restored under the rule of God, a world that is being redesigned to work the way it should, and it was being launched with Jesus coming into this world. That's what Jesus comes announcing. He doesn't come announcing that you can have forgiveness of sin. He comes announcing that the whole world is going to be remade, remade under God's rule. It's going to be restored. It's going to be the way it's supposed to be. And this was good news to the dispossessed, the oppressed, the abused, the poor, the needy, the forgotten, the marginalized. So when Jesus starts his ministry with these blessings, he's telling us where God's kingdom is located. It's found among the poor in spirit. It's found among the merciful because they receive God's, good, God's kingdom as good news. God's kingdom is good news to them. And so he's telling them who is blessed, not how to be blessed. In other words, Jesus is saying that God's kingdom is near, it's at hand, it's present among us if we have eyes to see. And that's why you see Jesus talking all the time about the importance of seeing. Look at Matthew 13, verse 16, lest uh, I miss out on that real strategic verse. He says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And this comes after talking about the fact that he's going to speak in parables, and those parables are going to going to confirm the blindness of people's hearts whose hearts are already dull. But he says, but blessed are your eyes, there's the blessing, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Jesus has come to give us eyes to see the presence of his kingdom in our midst. That leads to the second observation, 
And, and it's this, while God's kingdom, while God's renewal project is present, it's among us, if we have eyes to see it, it might also surprise us. It might also surprise us. Turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus shocked his audience with the list of who was blessed. He shocked his first century audience with this list of who was blessed. To a first century Jewish person who was in this audience listening to Jesus say these words, God's blessing was expected to be on those who observed Torah. And how do I know that? Because if you look at Deuteronomy 28, that really set the foundation for the covenant stipulations of living in relationship with God. Do you want to live in relationship with God as a Jew? Deuteronomy 28 gave a list of blessings. If you lived, if you fulfilled your covenant obligations, it's a relationship. Think like marriage. You enter into a covenant like marriage, and when you stand there and you say, I do, you're saying, I do to something. Not just, I like this person. But rather you're saying, I will be a certain way towards you and do certain things. The same thing was true for Israel in relationship to God. And Moses was the one who basically unfolded this covenant on behalf of God to them in Deuteronomy 28. So these covenant stipulations have blessings for fulfilling them. But there's also, if you walk away from your covenant relationship, your covenant obligations, there's, you live in the realm of curse. So Deuteronomy 28 lists blessings and cursings. So any good Jew listening to Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 5 knew that blessing was expected for anyone who observed Torah. And this led to the conclusion that you could tell who was blessed by God. It's the devout. It's the wealthy. It's the healthy. It's the respected. It's the educated. Why? Because the Torah described in very tangible ways what it looks like to be blessed. And it was visible. Look at Deuteronomy 28 if you don't believe me. It was very visible. So a first century Jewish person could look at a person's circumstances and conclude this person is blessed. They could see it. So if your life looked good, it's because you are good and God has blessed you. If your life looked bad, it's because you are bad and you're living under the curse. And I explained that last week. And I think this makes sense of this little incident in John chapter 9. It it struck me as I was studying for this. In John chapter 9, Jesus is out and, and he's with his disciples and they come upon a man who is born blind. And you remember that incident in John chapter 9? And, and his disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, we look at it, and because we're so educated and enlightened, we go like, oh, they're such idiots. <laughs> but what they were doing was they were being good Jews. And, and if you see someone whose life does not look like it's blessed, it's because they've sinned. They've walked away from their covenant stipulations. And so they were only doing what most Jews in this time period would have done, and that is gauge things on the basis of what they saw. So when Jesus began to describe who was really blessed, it would have shocked his audience. Listen to Scott McKnight. He says, clearly Jesus goes against the grain. Instead of blessing the one who pursues wisdom and reason and develops a reputation as a sage, instead of blessing the one who has a good family, who observes the whole Torah, or the one who has all the right friends and develops a reputation as righteous or as a leader, Jesus blesses those whom no one else blessed. 
The genius of the Beatitudes emerges from this contrastive stance. They are a countercultural revelation of the people of the kingdom. If we add all this together, we get something like this. A blessed person is someone who, because of a heart for God, is promised and enjoys God's favor regardless of that person's status or countercultural condition. So here's two ways that this might challenge us to think about stepping into this practice of blessing others that I started with Rick this morning. Here's the first way. I think that Jesus challenges our tendency to judge others by, by the circumstances that we see them in. And I think that works both positively and negatively. If someone has great wealth, if someone has great possessions, success, power, health, they score the winning touchdown, or they retire early, does that automatically mean that God has blessed them? Now that runs against the evangelical stream of religion that's in America. Conversely, negatively, and probably more personally, should you conclude that God's blessing is not on your life if your circumstances are difficult, if you're experiencing pain, or if you're continually encountering setbacks, does that mean that God's blessing is not on your life? See, Jesus challenges our tendency to assume that blessing can be determined solely from our external circumstances, our visible circumstances. I think it helps us to think about ourselves, but also about other people as we look around. Perhaps we're missing out on blessing people because we say, well, they're already blessed because they're wealthy, they're successful, they're healthy, they've got all this stuff. I'm the one that doesn't have it. I'm the one that's not blessed. And conversely, our own lives where maybe we have assumed that we're not blessed because we're struggling or we're in pain or we're suffering. That maybe God's blessing, his smile, his favor is deeply on our lives. I will say this, that from my own experience, having had years of some of the most intense pressure and difficulty and feeling abandoned by God, not for days or hours, but for months and years, I can say this, that if God wants to use you, he first of all has to shape you. And the shaping is done under pressure. It's done under fire. And you know what? I wanted to get out. When the fire starts turning up, I go, I'm out of here. I didn't sign up for this course. But I can tell you on the other side of it, if you're going through that, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Greatest thing that ever happened to me. I wouldn't trade it for anything. So maybe that's a word to somebody out there today to stay with it. 
God's blessing may be on your life, unlike the other people who he just lets go in their pursuit of success and wealth and health and everything else that marks up the American dream. The second way this might challenge us is this. It tells us that no one is beyond God's blessing. No one is beyond God's blessing. In fact, the people who are overlooked by society, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the powerless, people who our culture tends to view as unclean or unimportant or worthless are to be shown dignity. Why? Because they are often the most receptive to God's blessing. And this again challenges the way that we see people around us because it tells us that there is no one who's beyond God's blessing. No one. And we're not to be the ones who draw the conclusion that that person is beyond God's blessing. So I'm not going to give them a blessing. I'm not going to be involved in their life. I'm not going to love them. Jesus shows us that no one is beyond God's blessing again and again and again. So I think that this leaves us with an invitation to consider the way that we see people. Is there anyone in your life who you have privately labeled as being beyond God's blessing? Think about the person that annoys you the most. Don't look around. And if you have privately labeled somebody as beyond God's blessing, maybe because of that, have you stepped away from seeing yourself as being a conduit of blessing for that person's life? See, Jesus tells us that no one is beyond God's blessing. My friends, he wants to use you and me to be a conduit of his life and his love to people around us. I mean, you heard what Rick and Sherry are doing. They're just, they're just being people and allowing God's life and love to flow through them to other people, and that's something we all can do. But sometimes we need to make these little adjustments about the way we see people. Just take a moment and reflect, and if there's someone that God has brought to your mind, just perhaps talk to God about that person, and then I'll pray, Okay. Lord Jesus, we want to invite you now into this moment of speaking into our lives and speaking into our hearts at a deep level and perhaps reminding us that you've included us. You've loved us. You've graced us. It's not because we came to you so cleaned up, but simply because we were receptive to you. So I ask for each of us, for myself, for the people who are here, that we might be people who see people as you see them and love them with Christ-like love and bring to them the blessing that you want to give to them. So I ask that you give us opportunities to step into that this week, perhaps even today. In your name, amen.